Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Cloudwater from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. The Gospel reading from the, ninth, from the 10th chapter of Luke. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbors as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going by that down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denali, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you for whatever more you spent. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you, my siblings in Christ. We start with this old, familiar story. You know, last fall I preached on this story, the story of the man beaten by robbers who's avoided by a priest and a Levite, but then this man from Samaria rescues him and takes him to safety. This is one of those stories that's known beyond the church, right? Like... Culturally, if you say Good Samaritan, everyone knows what you're talking about, right? What do we think of when you hear Good Samaritan? Someone who helps, helping a neighbor. Yeah, what else over here? A kind person, right? Like, we've kind of got this condition. We hear this. Maybe you've got insurance company jingles stuck in your head. I don't know what that is, but we're kind of all on the same wavelength when we hear about this. When I preached on this, though, in September, I noticed there was an important backstory because we'd been reading Luke and we'd, we'd kind of seen some of the stories that were uh, ahead of this that kind of let us set the scene. Uh, there was something that happened in the chapter before, in chapter 9. Uh, we, we probably know about this 
And when we think of Samaritan, uh, we think that the Samaritan might be an unlikely hero in this story. We've probably even heard the Samaritan, uh, like this man from Samaria, being compared to like an enemy, the least likely person who was going to come along and be able to help, right? And it goes a little bit deeper than that, because actually in chapter 9 is when we're introduced to Samaritans. And it goes like this. This is when the disciples, they've kind of gone out. They're paving their way. They're getting ready for Jesus to go to Jerusalem. And so when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he, set his men, he sent his messengers ahead of him. And guess what happens when they get to Samaria? Dun, dun, dun. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they didn't receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. It's all we get to know. We just know that the Samaritans don't want anything to do with Jesus. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <gasps> really? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and then they just went on to, the, to another village. A very drastic response that they have for Samaria. Perhaps we see the vengeance side of the disciples too. Like they're ready to burn this, this community to the ground. And Jesus doesn't forget their response. This is in Luke 9. The parable of the Good Samaritan is in Luke 10. This is not a story that actually happened. It's a story that Jesus is telling as an example. So he gets to make up who these characters are. Jesus doesn't forget their response. When telling a story to a lawyer who is asking about who his neighbor is, the hero of the story is from the town that his own disciples were willing to command fire to come down and destroy. This is more than just the lawyer's response and the lawyer's reaction. Because think about who else is listening to this story. The disciples. This is also about the disciples. However, in studying this text this week, there was other, one other tiny detail that I'd noticed that I hadn't noticed before. Because so often when I hear the story and the parable of the Good Samaritan, we probably already come up with some excuses for why the priest and the Levite hurry along the way. I bet we've done this before. We've justified, well, of course the priest and the Levite keep moving. They have to get to church. They can't be late for church. What's more important, going to a place to learn about taking care of your neighbor or actually doing it? But I actually think that's not what Jesus is telling us is happening. They're not late to get to the synagogue. They've just left. Note the direction. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem, from the synagogue, to Jericho when he fell into the hands of the robbers. And the priest and the Levite, they were going down the same road. They're not in a hurry to get to church. They're on the same path. And if anything, they should have just heard a lesson from the Torah, from the law, from the scrolls, that this is how you take care of your neighbor. This is how you continue to please God. And if you don't think that pleasing God was a very, very important virtue, then the reading from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy sheds a bit of light on what God expects from us. 
Deuteronomy is the last book of the Moses saga, okay? This is the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is nearing his death. This is the time for all of the big fancy speeches that Moses gives to the people. They're about to enter the promised land, but Moses won't. And so he spends the two chapters before the reading that we heard today cursing and telling the people all of the curses that will befall them if they're disobedient to God. I mean, it's pretty dark and dreary, honestly. But then we get to Deuteronomy 30, and it took a very interesting turn. It's a hopeful ray of light and a promise of joy amidst dark and ominous curses and doom. And you may have noticed a few words in our reading that that struck you, you know, about prosperity. This isn't the kind of prosperity gospel mindset that you, you might hear from a televangelist, you know, just pray for wealth and God will give it to you. It's not the kind of prosperity where, you know, just say, God, I need this, and God will give that to you. That's missing the point of what, what we're hearing in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30 is about much, much deeper connections to God. It's talking about how much better our lives are when we are obedient to God, when we are in a right and a righteous relationship with God. Religion's not a good luck charm. Being a Christian isn't a way to avoid suffering. Our obedience is actually how we devote our lives to God. It means we're always surrounded by faithful friends. We're never on our own, especially when those times of suffering come. We have someone to lean on and someone to turn to. We have friends in faith to be able to guide us on our journey. And so, in Deuteronomy 30, because you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart, the Lord takes delight in prospering you. This is the kind of scripture that would have been very, very familiar to the lawyer asking Jesus the question in the parable and putting Jesus to the test. He knows his scripture. It's the kind of passage that would have been very familiar to the disciples who now suddenly might be feeling a little bit of guilt for suggesting that Jesus would call upon heaven to rain down fire upon the Samaritan village. And it's the kind of story that's familiar to us. It's why the Good Samaritan is lifted up as an example of how to treat our neighbor. This Good Samaritan, I mean, this echoes in countless insurance company slogans. Like a good neighbor, the Good Samaritan. I mean, State Farm is there. You're in good hands with the Good Samaritan or Allstate. I mean, whatever. They all must have been in like their think tank sessions and were like, man, that Good Samaritan story, let's use that. It's like the good Samaritan is the insurance. But this isn't the story about a random act of a stranger. It's actually a story about the intentional love of our God, of our merciful God, of our God of love who wants us to go and do likewise. And so about a month ago, you know, I just got back from vacation. So, you know, about a week or two before my vacation, I I got a request from one of my peers who knew about a family here in Forest Lake that was about to get evicted, and they had seven kids, and and this single mom with her seven kids left us as a church pondering ways that we could help. I also knew that since I'd be on vacation, I wasn't going to really be able to take the lead on this. So we talked about it at council before I left. We talked about the situation, and it and it pulled on us. It, it had, a, it had this, this calling in our hearts. We knew we had to do something. So we had some dialogue. And a few people from council 
said, hey, I want to be able to help out. I want to be able to reach out. And so this conversation continued. And some things came into focus. Some conversations happened with the social worker working with his family. And some good news came about. The family was able to secure some housing. It's not here in Forest Lake. It's in a different county altogether. But this family is going to be able to live together under one roof. Unfortunately, though, when they were evicted, they lost a lot of their belongings. They need clothing. They need food. They need support. And while the mother works and she does have some support from family, they truly need a hand right now to be able to get back on their feet so they don't fall into that vicious cycle of homelessness. They need a few Samaritans in their lives to have their back. So our team from council, they work together. They knew that as a church, we would want to help. And they also knew that this wouldn't be the last time a request like this came along. So they came up with an idea. Faith lends a hand. We can't do everything. We can't take the jobs of the social workers. We we don't have the capacity as a church to do all of the work that might be needed to be able to help this family. But like the Samaritan, we can do something. We don't have to just walk by. We're like the people that Moses addresses in his farewell speech. This community that's been blessed by God, united in mission. So we can gather our resources and help. Each of us can do a little bit. I mean, think about it. If 21 family units from our congregation each took one kid from this family, we'd be able to have three new outfits for that kid going to school in the fall. We can do that. Think about it. If 15 people donated a $25 or $50 gift card, the family to have gas and food to cover at least the first month of that transition to their new home. I'm stuck with the question that Jesus asks. Which of these was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? What'd the lawyer say? Now remember, he couldn't even say the Samaritan's name by name. He just said the one who showed mercy. Out of our abundance, folks, we're asked to show mercy. We're asked to give compassion, and we're asked to share of our blessings. Sometimes the gospel just smacks us right in the face and says, go and do likewise. Amen.